There are many today who yearn to walk a spiritual path, and others who insist they are already on their way. But in that journey, where does pain and trauma come into play? According to Neil Kramer, without addressing the trauma, there can be no true spiritual work. We had Neil back on for part two of a completely riveting and soul-stirring discussion about mapping the shadow, growing into a fully conscious human, and understanding the painstaking work that comes before any meaningful benefit can honestly be realized. You know, Neil, it's rare that I ask a guest to come back for two consecutive appearances. Uh, in fact, I think I've only done that once before. But based on all that you had to share with our audience in the last show, in which uh, we simply touched on some very powerful concepts, I thought it would behoove us all to get you right back on as soon as practical. And I'm happy to say you graciously accepted. So welcome back, Neil. Thank you. A pleasure to be with you again. Yes, absolutely. On this going into the weekend, a great way to end the week. So we're going to be off and running. So look, let's pick this conversation right back up. Let's get right into it by having a chat about what you call shadow mapping. And I'd like to cover the art of mapping the shadow, not only from a micro perspective, but from the macro as well. So I'd love to look at the personal shadow as well as the global and how we can use that very critical process uh, as an integral step to becoming a fully conscious human on this planet. We touched on uh, on our last show, the idea of polarity. Uh, and I wanted to use that. I thought that would be good to use as a segue to get into our discussion about the shadow. But first, let's get into what I'm calling the destructive versus constructive use of polarity, maybe contrasting empire's destructive use of polarization. And then we can look at a more alchemical understanding using solar and lunar aspects as an analogy. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but here's here's where I think we should go. I don't know how many people in our audience have heard the term shadow mapping. And, you know, I was looking up the uh, shadow mapping. I Googled it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, the what comes up as a definition in mainstream is sort of a, a, a graphics process of 3D overlay of some sort. So that's interesting. Mm. Uh, you have a very different definition, however. Maybe you'd share a little bit of a thumbnail with us about what that is all about sure well let me just go back to one thing you said a moment ago first of all mm. you uh you said you know understanding these things helps us on this sort of path to become as you described a fully conscious human um shadow mapping is part of that process that in my sincere opinion the uh, process of becoming fully conscious is a is about a 70 year process from the time of initial stirring, from the time of initial spiritual arousal. So it isn't something that happens overnight. It's something that takes a very long time. It's a little bit like in Shotokan Karate, which I used to do. There's a thing called a red belt, Judan, which is the highest belt you can get, higher than a black belt. And to have the, the ultimate red belt, you would be somewhere between 70 and 80 years of age, minimum because of the prior work that needs to take place mm -hmm. for that to happen. So if you equate fully conscious human with red belt, you're on the right track. Uh, so it is a very deep process, and I, I just want to emphasize that because I'm aware that many people who 
come to spiritual work think that once you've started the process that's it you you know you're on a spiritual path no you're not no you're not to, to be on a spiritual path is a very very sincere and devoted piece of work that I've only seen maybe a hundred people achieve that in my life out of tens mm. of thousands that I've met so I, I must say just out of diligence and disclosure that I have a very harsh view of what it is to be a fully conscious human mm. harsh in the sense that the quality bar is very high that's all so I just want to just uh, explain that before we go on so it, you can set it in a certain perspective thank you. then yeah, thank you. Shadow mapping is the appreciation that truth brings pain. Truth brings pain. Uh, most people are not prepared to live truthfully because they are ill-equipped to deal with the disturbance that it brings. Uh, initially, the more truth one encompasses and embodies in life the more suffering will arise. Now, that's a temporary state of affairs, and it's almost like an initiation, a test. It's like a, it's like a survival course, an assault course. It's like an examination. And it's so tricky and so difficult that as most people face that first hurdle, they approach it and just turn back and think, you know what, I don't want to go through pain I don't want to bring back the old pain of my traumas from whenever in life, broken hearts, pe uh, suffering, separation, you know, um, abuse, maybe violence, all the different things, whether one's had a very physically traumatic time or whether it's been a very quiet, desolate, silent trauma emotionally. In the end, perhaps it makes rather little difference trauma is trauma and when that uh, pain of truthfulness comes it resonates that trauma it sets it jangling again the old pain we call it in my work and people are so afraid of that that instead of living with truth they would rather live with a fiction and the fiction is that spiritual work is peaceful soft and gentle and nice and my experience of it is almost exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. Spiritual work is hard, severe, brutal, punishing work. And if that isn't happening, you're not doing it properly. Now that, as I say, is a temporary state of affairs. And it's, it's like a lady said to me the other day, she said it's a bit like a video game in that the higher you get in the game the higher the level you're playing at the more challenging it gets right mm. so it's not like when you get good at spirituality life gets easier it doesn't it gets more involved it gets more challenging now that challenge is what spirituality uh requires a, a, a particular attitude for it so the the great business and we'll come to this shadow mapping in a moment the great business of the spiritual human is to change their approach to challenges now in mainstream life when a when a person faces a challenge they will invariably define it as misfortune a problem an accident mm -hmm. a, a difficulty in 
uh, my hermetic instruction as a younger man from say 25 to 35 what I was uh, taught to appreciate was that you should frame difficulty as initiation not misfortune mm-hmm. I understand. Difficult, difficulty is soul wisdom set before you on purpose there is no such thing as misfortune there's no such thing as randomness as chaos as chance chaos is just you know really a level of complexity of order that we can't appreciate that's all it is so when somebody understands those things you think okay so the approach is what matters it's my approach to a challenge my approach to the initiation and it's it's like a student let's say a music student who relishes the challenge of taking on a difficult piece of music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with a lot of you know let's say it's a guitar player with a lot of very difficult scales and fretting and a lot of difficult uh, speed or complexity and instead of thinking oh my gosh that's too difficult and my fingers are hurting I want to go home <laughs> they, they think you know what I'm gonna master this not to look good not to show off not to be all grandiose but rather simply just for my own satisfaction of meeting the challenge and getting somewhere uh, where I can consider myself in a position of accomplishment purely for my own betterment and fulfillment. Not right. don't care how that looks on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Can, may I interject? Because again, <laughs> I feel like I'm going down, de- having a deja vu here, wanting to take written copious notes, and I'm going to have to try to retain as much as I can, because you have said so much, Neil, that I'm sure much of our audience will be able to relate to you. I mean, what you're really talking about is in the right, um, how can I say, with the right mindset, one would acknowledge that this is really a primal aspect of being human, that it particularly, well, when you have trauma, you don't enjoy that, obviously. But if you if you can transmute the chaos into a challenge that can be useful, I can relate to that, actually. You're giving several broad mm. examples. You know, the, the, the person that uh, I think you mentioned playing the piano um, and a difficult piece. Mm. Um uh, and re- rising to the occasion, which at some level you just know you have to do. On the other hand, you take what we call misfortune. I'm immediately thinking of my my own, what I never called uh, misfortune. I think you and I shared this several years ago when my husband were going through a complete time of tumult. But we knew on some very in- uh, uh, instinctive level, we called it a litmus test, but we decided to transmute it into raising the bar for us and knowing that that was this was some sort of an initiation. Honestly, right. good good attitude. Absolutely, that I think that's the only way we got through. But uh, so I just wanted to make that comment, and, and of mm. course have you uh, go go on because I think this is so important. You've said already made some very very strong points about. Uh, not people thinking that they may be on a spiritual path based on what they've told that uh, that entails and in fact finding out not but let's move forward i don't want to do too much sure. on here let, let sure no problem no mm. thank you for uh, adding that dimension to it it's always uh, it's always important that we can inter- interweave these things trauma if you think about it that word is thrown around rather a lot trauma is is really distress from shock that's what trauma is. It's a it's a great disharmony that is fired through one's bones and blood, as you might say. 
when you are shocked by something. It might be a fist. It might be a picture on a television set. It might be a loud shouting parent in a in you know in a room. It could be a number of things. And some, like I say, the the physicality of that trauma is somewhat different, of course, in everyone's set of experiences. And sometimes it's a very very in your face, you know, abuse, sexual, physical abuse, things mm-hmm. like that, which we can all say is going to damage a person, is going to traumatize them. And then just the um, neglect, the passive aggression, the silent aggression, the, you know, gaslighting, the, you know, insanity making that many people go through at home and school and in bad marriages and bad relationships, all of those things traumatize people. And this, this is the bottom line as we approach, as we approach our consideration of shadow mapping. If trauma is not fully processed, it rules the person. <laughs> it it yeah. dictates everything they do, who they marry, what they wear, the music they listen to, the books they read, the TV shows they watch. Everything they do is a strategy to divert themselves from trauma. Because any new trauma is old trauma also, you see. So what the the mystical human has to do, the spiritual human, mystic just meaning, meaning initiate into the mystery of life, and let's just plainly say that we initiate ourselves into that mystery for the time being, what the initiate appreciates is that the first test is to overcome trauma. Not to just avoid it but to overcome it to go into the very very heart of it so shadow mapping is the principal primary piece of work for real spiritual life real spiritual men and women whose heart and mind are serious substantially focused on this work and that means why do why does why do bad things happen to good people let's just put it plainly like that Mm -hmm. why do bad things happen to good people if there's a higher force, if there's a God, if there's a spiritual source, why does this stuff happen? Why does that come about? And so as soon as you do that, you take your first step into dissolving trauma by depersonalizing it, thinking, okay, it's not just me who's been traumatized, it's everybody. Mm-hmm. So if if you ever look around the streets of America and France and Europe and you know, Britain and God knows where, every, everywhere all around the world, if you ever look around those streets and think, why is everybody so brain dead and stupid and defeated and resigned and unconscious? Why is that? Because people are, generally speaking, good at heart when you get close to them. Mm-hmm. There's, very, there's very few awful human beings, but there's a lot of unconscious human beings. Why is that? And I would say that as you examine that question, you come to empire. Empire says, don't go into trauma, avoid it. And we will give you a culture and an education system and a workplace and a family set of protocols and churches that will do absolutely nothing to address your trauma. But what they will do is deliver you a fiction, a total piece of fiction in which you can involve yourself and just forget the trauma. 
Mm-hmm. And when and when that happens, on one hand, you get mainstream, silly, decadent culture that we see in America and Europe today. And on the other hand, you get terrible, terrible Abrahamic, Judaic, Islamic, Christian churches who don't know anything about anything and just mislead people. Not all of them, but many of them. And then you get the materialists who say everything is random. We're just... monkeys who've evolved to us as a stage of relative sentience and everything's a piece of massive cold clockwork totally dead totally accidental and you know we just climbed out of the swamp which is a which is a form of religious fundamentalism as far as i'm concerned that materialism that scientism Mm -hmm. to me is laughable and I, I seriously can't imagine that anybody really believes that. It's, it's again, it's a diversion. Right. So, so at every turn you care to look at in life, in mainstream life, whether you're an atheist, a, a religious person, or whether you're a big cultural person, it doesn't matter. At every turn, you are being asked to forget trauma. The spiritual teacher the man worth his salt, the woman worth her salt in this regard says, we're going to do the opposite of that. Not only are we going to look at it, we're going to map it. Mm-hmm. We're going to go into it. We're going to relive it. We're going to enact it. We're going to become trauma. We're going to become pain. We're going to become the antagonist. We're going to channel that uh, suffering right all over again, worse than the first time. We're going to dissolve yourself like the phoenix that reduces itself to ashes complete destruction and then when that is remade then you will be free of that um, pain mm, when you've and that, process, yeah, that process takes about 20 years from the moment you first begin it sure. so if you started that at 30 you'll be 50 if you started that at 45 you'll be 65 a minimum 20 year process to get to a point of relative dissolution i.e. it's no longer dictating what you do it's not gone yet but it's, it's gone enough that you can uh, get on with your life and do stuff. Total dissolution, as I say, comes at the point of great adeptness, which is more like a 30 to 50 year process. Mm-hmm. So, so who on earth in the age of I can't read something for more than 30 seconds, who on earth wants to take on the shadow mapping? Who wants to look at that stuff? Who wants to say, what is pain? Why did difficult things happen to me? Why did I choose those things to come my way? Why is the soul that loves me in conjunction with God presenting me with this constant, constant challenging set of circumstances, 101 problems, and every time one problem is resolved, another one pops up. Why is that? And shadow, shadow mapping, the mystery of shadow mapping begins to reveal why. I think it would take an extremely erudite person in this day and age, Neil, to even realize that a shadow could be mapped. I think what is going through my mind as we talk about the people, God bless them, really, who are uh, lovely and still unconscious, many of them, don't know that it is something to be mapped and wouldn't even bother asking the question because they are so enfolded not unfolded, but infolded mm-hmm. in the trauma that Empire, interestingly, has asked them to avoid, but has also created for them much of it. Yes, it's like any uh, torturer, any mind controller, 
will tell you that the trauma process fragments a person and it it causes them to compartmentalize different components of themselves and when that fragmentation when that compartmentalization takes place each of those separate fragments is very programmable mm -hmm. you can't program a whole person it can't be done you can't program a whole woman a whole man so programming uh, me is very difficult because I have achieved a relatively decent not not as happy with it yet of course <laughs> it'll be another 30 years work but a relatively decent level of wholeness by choosing a, a spiritual life a truthful life that's all that is and it's very difficult to influence me it's very difficult to steer me or trick me or con mm. me it, it happens you know I get it wrong like everyone else but not very often right if I were traumatized over and over again, though, once you become fragmented, it's easy, easy to program somebody and say, hey, you, wanna, you want something different? Then Bernie Sanders is your answer. And they go, fantastic, fantastic. Feel the burn. Let's go. This is it. This is the way forward. Yeah. And you say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. Is that my only menu option? Is there anything else? People who are fragmented don't, it doesn't occur to them that it doesn't occur that they have to fabricate uh, to create. I use the word fabricate in the old-fashioned sense, which means make, of course, not um, synthesize synthetically. They have to make their own representation. You can't have somebody like Bernie Sanders do it. That would be a disaster. Of course, it would be a disaster when you look carefully. But the fiction doesn't tell you that, does it? The fiction says... Bernie Sanders will distribute wealth equally, free healthcare, free education, delivering a utopian society that we all want. That's the fiction. The fiction is why you see bumper stickers on the car. It's people who don't want to shadow map. They want the fiction. Right. That's right. They want the fiction. I've had people actually say to me in so many words, I don't want to look at the, the truth. Frankly, it's too painful. They've yeah, said it. That's right. I know people that have said that, you know, people that I've, I've gotten into certain discussions uh, that took them partially down the rabbit yeah. hole. And when they and say it, you have to say, okay. Okay, no problem. You know, you can't say, you can't <laughs> shake them by the no. shoulders and say, no. God damn it, I'm going to drill no. this into you. Usually you sit down, young man, and listen right now. You yeah. can't. When somebody says to you, you know what? I just don't want to talk about that stuff. Let's, let's watch the, you know, yeah. Seattle Seahawks on TV and have another beer. Sure. I mean, it's the last time I'll see you, but sure, let's do that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I you agree. have to you have to respect somebody's uh, request for, yes. you know, sanctuary where they say, "Look, I'm just not ready for that." You know, I'm just I'm not at a developmental stage where I'm prepared, ready, inclined, whatever to do that. You have to say, "Fine, that's okay." Mm -hmm. For the people, for the people who are ready, yes. who have realized that's who we're that talking to. Yes. For the people who are ready, my wonderful audience, your wonderful audience, and the new people who perhaps we stimulate through our broadcasts and material today, for those people who are thinking, you know, I am ready. I do want to make myself better and make life better. They start to realize that truth is the pathway for that. And initially, you know, my statement, truth brings pain. Why? Because you have to kill the fiction. Mm -hmm. that's the painful bit truth will only deepen you truth will only magnetize soul it will only bring good things into your life but it will kill the fiction 
And if you've been running a fiction, a daydream, an ideal, and even if it's a really good one where if you wrote it down or made a video game of it, I would think, wow, that's absolutely wonderful. But it's a fiction. You can't live that fiction without addressing what is. So the the spiritual woman, the spiritual man, says, well, we'll work toward a better world, of course, but we have to begin with what is. What is before us? What is in front of our toes and our fingertips? What's in front of our nose right now? Let's examine the nature of that, because if we don't do that, we cannot uh, sanctify the next stepping stone unless we have looked truthfully at what is before us. So it it requires spirituality. Again, the opposite of what most people think. It requires an extraordinary, super severe practicality, i.e. it's empirical. You do it, you feel it, you sweat it, you, you bleed it. Mm-hmm. It's, right, it's right in front of you. It's what is only what is true, which is why, as we often say in my work, you know, only a humble head can gather wisdom. So a great big ego is no use in this work. Mm. An, ego, an ego that obscures reality is is going to slow things down. So we, we start to, again, see that uh, truth will only come into a clean vessel, a clear vessel. It doesn't mean you can't have a lovely, colorful personality and be laughing and joking and silly and smart one day and daft the next. You know, that's that's certainly a description of me mm-hmm. and I can be very playful as, as, as well as I can be very, uh, you know, somber and very scholarly. I can do all of those things cause I'm a full spectrum human, human being, being right. for sure. <laughs> I love but being I, human. <laughs> I, I know I do. It's great. And I, I like to be able to choose what part of the spectrum I'm going to operate in at any one time. Mm. And to go back to our original point, your original question to me, the shadow is half of the spectrum of a human life. It's the negative. It's the minus on your Duracell battery. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the moon above your head. It's the female destroyer. It's everything that powers life. If it wasn't for the negative, the positive that generates life could never work. So there is an alchemical principle yes. at work mm-hmm. with shadow mapping. Because when you come down to it, you see that there's a force of harmony and a force of disharmony. And the the sort of interference pattern that they create, the interleaving of uh, life that they create, is what we are. We are the result of those forces. And so to ignore half of that equation is to simply seek refuge. Mm -hmm. Like I've said so many times, what is the new age? The new age is refuge. Yeah. It's the battered women's shelter. It's the battered man's shelter. People go there for peace and refuge and escape. And I understand that. And when I occasionally go to New Age places, I see, I can see them a mile off. I can smell New Age fear <laughs> a mile off. And it's, of course, it's presented as joy, but it's really the opposite. It's pain and it's the Absolutely. fear of pain. Agreed. And when I see that, I think, you know what? Fine. If you need sanctuary, go for it. If you need to disappear off to the monastery for a quarter century maybe maybe that's okay maybe that's what you should do i don't know it's none of my business right but i know i know one thing you're not transforming in that place yeah you just standing still here here i agree with you and i too have been in those and still am on occasion if it if it's if it fits uh, i'll be in it <laughs> if it fits 
uh, con- conferences and such, <clears throat> sure, I will be sure. in those venues, and sure. uh, particularly the larger ones where you get a, a, a good dose of everything. And I often shake my head thinking, my gosh, these people are wanting and, and so desperate to be conscious. And by, by being so in their desperation are actually doing more harm than good. They're becoming even <laughs> exactly. more unconscious. Exactly. We'll leave it there for now. Before I forget this, because we could go off on a tangent You're too kind there. to people, you are. Be mean. You should be more mean. Meaner. Be meaner with people. Say no, be mean. Oh, you're such a hater, Neil. Stop it now. I am. I love to hate. <laughs> and if, if any, you must know that about for, me. For those of us that heard the, this Great show that we did a couple of weeks ago. He talked about how much of a hater he is. But we're <laughs> I am a major oh, hate. Massive, massive hate speech from me every second. <laughs> He's actually a good guy. You, you really are. Now, <laughs> listen, before before we uh, start getting silly here, let's say, uh, because, you know, we do have to laugh. We have to laugh. We have to be light. We have to have Oops. that balance, as you just made, uh, so eloquently made that point. Uh I want to talk about, are you there, by the way? I am. Okay, I thought I heard an oops in the background there. (laughs) I want to bring up something speaking of uh, the positive and the negative. Now we're talking about mapping polarity uh, as as also a part of the whole mapping process, including the shadow. And, you know, Neil, this is a concept that I hope I can articulate properly because I was thinking about this yesterday, a concept that I have been playing with, which sort of gets us into the alchemical uh, aspects of things when when speaking of the solar and the lunar solar being masculine lunar being feminine this idea of these semid opposites and how let's see if i can put this right when an eclipse takes place based on an alignment of these two celestial bodies let's say when this occurs how does this obscuring of light that happens during an eclipse relate if at all to the bigger picture of blending and blurring of opposites is there some alchemical significance that we can derive from that the marriage of solar and lunar do you know what i mean there is a huge important significance to an eclipse um which is very potent image in much of western esoteric Mm. Uh, philosophy and spiritual traditions and indigenous French and German and Spanish and Portuguese and English indigenous shamanic traditions Uh, when the time of the eclipse comes for a moment and it literally is just for moments isn't it I remember we had one here recently and Mm -hmm. I I watched I watched it with the appropriate um, technology to have a look at it uh, which is very safe to look at an eclipse don't believe that garbage they tell you yeah when you look at when you look at an eclipse, what you're seeing is that the thing that generates life and the thing that destroys life for a moment are doing neither. Wow. And, and as that happens, there is a pause in the world. There is a pause in the life system. There is a pause in the process of evolution just for a moment where you can just stop and look and reflect and at that moment there's a there's an enhanced capacity to appreciate one's own place in creation which is a very broad thing to say but hopefully I'll explain what I mean by that as we go on uh, the sun is it is essentially we'll speak of its esoteric nature forget its physical nature for a moment esoterically speaking the sun is the father is the creator and is the light of the world and everything that 
occurs in this world is generated by that sun. And I would say if, if you were teaching this to a class of teenagers and they're saying, what are you talking about? What does that mean? I say, imagine the sun is a movie projector and what it projects is reality. Physically, atomically, at a molecular level, everything is, is generated by the sun. And once it's created, it has a certain amount of free will and a certain amount of independence in its own right. And it can go about its business, like a tree will grow, a mountain will have its magnificent stately presence there for eons. A river will flow, a man will walk around, a woman will raise her arms and sing to the sky, and you know the birds will fly, the fish will swim, and everything has its order, its nature, its place in creation. But the the higher beings of which the human is at the top of the tree at the moment, physically in the 3D, they get a chance to do something else, which is to continue to transform themselves and transcend, and that's a word I you know, often say is, is misused, transcend their origin. And to do that, you have to bring in the destructive power of the moon, the female destroyer, the moon, because you can give your unneeded elements to the moon to destroy it. I have known women who have had cancerous tumors in their bodies who gave those tumors to the moon and the moon took it and made them disappear because they Hmm. knew how to do that thing. So they said, I see why I got the tumor. I understand now how this came about. I, I take the wisdom and I shall never forget it. And now I give this matter, I give this creation to you. And the moon takes it and then they are cleansed of this uh, blight, of this affliction, of course, which is a a scary thing for anybody to encounter such a thing. But it's a very physical example, which is why I choose to use it. You can think of the destroyer if you want to uh, give it a, a different kind of mantle a different kind of uh title think of it as a recycler mm-hmm. yes so so think of it as a giant furnace that you put everything into right. that has served its purpose and when it goes into that furnace it doesn't disappear you can't destroy anything really can you right. but you can change it so what what goes into the furnace the giant furnace of that silver moon gets recycled back to the sun for new creation that's transmutation that's That's transmutation that's right so it's the ultimate you know uh eco friendly system of all Mm. time nothing can really be wasted or squandered or uh plagued by misuse the problem is that when you don't have transformation you become static then you tend to a kind of spiritual corrosion. Mm-hmm. And it's that, it's that process that alchemically becomes a problem. And the body will tend then towards its own demise, its own destruction or whatever. So the, the alchemist becomes uh, a person who simply is aware that there's this process of creation and destruction, this process of making and unmaking, let's just say it like that, all the time is happening now if you look at that physically and scientifically it's hard to see if you think well the sun is this giant 
nuclear fireball thing 93 million miles away in the vacuum of space and the moon is a little tiny rock that orbits around the earth what you're talking about neil kramer you crazy english bastard i don't <laughs> understand i don't think they are what we're told they are at all i just don't have any embodied experience of any of those things at all so i choose to run my own esoteric mythology right today and it's not been questioned up to now now if elon musk stops by this afternoon as he often does to my house and says okay neil let's go for a, a ride in one of my SpaceX, you know secret military darpa rockets and I'll, and I'll i'll take you near the sun and we'll put our super force field up and i'll take you and show you so you can stop talking that nonsense then i might come back and tell you something different next time and say gosh there That'll, is be part three. That will be That'll be part, part three. That will be part three. Yes. Yeah. To the mm -hmm. center of the sun. That's right. There is, there is a physical <laughs> aspect to that body, and I've seen it, and I've felt it, I've experienced it, it moved through me, I moved through it, and it. there we are, there is something to see. I've not had that experience, and nobody mm -hmm. has, and I firmly believe, and this is again where we uh, veer off into dangerous territory, so we won't go too far there, because we've got better things to talk about. But what is off-world, quote, is so dramatically different to what you think it is. And I'm not on about flat earth stuff, so anyone getting excited about that, stop hmm. it. I'm saying that as soon as you go off-world, it's a dimensional shift. It's yeah. not a spatial shift. Right. And so moon and sun, when you look at them from a, a completely energetic point of view, there's no relationship to that, to the standard... Uh, Astron astronomy model there isn't so we'll say forget that you know you can try and uh, reconcile those things but let's just look at the principle of it the sun creates the moon destroys the sun is male the moon is female you have to have that very clear gender understanding that sex understanding there's only two sexes there can be many gender expressions. You can dress up and do this and have your bits chopped off and stick new bits on if you want to. <laughs> yeah. But there's only two sexes. That's right. Male and female. There's In the 3D at least. There's nothing you can do to least. change that. Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing <laughs> you can do to change that. And it's very important. If you, You'll never meet a, you know, a, a gender-neutral alchemist because that would spell death. You'll never meet a transgender alchemist because that would spell reverse wisdom it doesn't work so once you understand the beauty of male and the beauty of female you can certainly uh, appreciate the more esoteric origins of those forces in that once the sun and the moon were one thing once a man and a woman were one thing and they will become that again the sun and the moon and the man and the woman it's a temporary journey of stark polarity stark opposites and to not uh, appreciate the form that you were gifted by the the loving god to, of being a man of being a woman is to refute the wisdom of that alchemical manifestation it's to forfeit your gift of life so you can definitely explore it and if if you want to explore those expressions in in oneself of course you can do but the form you were given was was given for really good reason and i think with proper instruction people would have no problem with that so for some more uh 
focused esotericists and more focused mystics that I know who are doing real work, really serious work, they're troubled by the LGBT movement, not because of its uh, apparent outside presentation of, you know, freedom to choose to express yourself how you wish, but because of of its uh, imperial origin, which is to obscure the power of the masculine, the power of the feminine Mm. in alchemical terms, which has never happened before, as far as we know, on, on a cultural scale. So what bothers me about LGBT, which is why I think it's total garbage, is because Empire has no interest in helping human beings express themselves however they wish. That's the last thing they want. What they want you to do is to be confused about what you are. And that's what that movement does when you look at the shadow side of it. The happy side of it, it might mean that if two amazing women want to live together and get married and raise a child, maybe they can. Mm -hmm. If two amazing guys want to get married and be there for each other and be a proper family and stuff, sure, that's great, I suppose. If you like that kind of thing, well done, go for it. But Empire doesn't want that. Empire wants every child in elementary school with having no clue of the creative power of the masculine and the destructive power of the feminine. It's not been there since the 1920s, since before the 1910s. It's definitely not there now. And so the the process of removing sacred knowledge from school is complete now. So if if you have children and you want to teach them what is true about those things and what traditionally those things mean you can't do it you can't do it in a mainstream school you have to find another school who gives the deeper picture of that that's right or homeschool of course it's got to be homeschool if you're part of a, a cooperative which i love are, i love the there are men and women who have that knowledge yeah because you can't get it off the internet no no well to heck with the internet i think it's a high time we get back to uh getting in the libraries the you know the, the paper the tangible the ones forward. absolutely absolutely listen i i'm just re just remarking over how you have been traversing the micro and the macro i think i brought that up at the top of the show and i think it just kind of went there naturally in terms of oh. not only mapping the shadow but how each reflects the other whether you're looking at the exoteric or the esoteric significance they are literally mirrors or different as- aspects of the same thing so uh, brilliant the way you're doing that. Fantastic. Wow. There's a lot to uh, take in there. I'm glad I brought up the, the eclipse thing. I, you know, I looked, Neil, I, I think I was listening to some of your material and something made me think, well, you had mentioned the, you know, the role that the, the solar and lunar from an esoteric standpoint, uh, what they represent and the importance of mapping polarity and understanding that at the center of it all, it's really all in the same. It's one in the same. And something I saw an image of the solar, a full solar eclipse in my mind. It was really that image that I got of this ring, really like a ring of fire, but I saw whole, a circle, which there is no beginning and no end. I just started playing with that. And I said, there's something esoteric as it may be, there's something very significant that we are meant to understand if we so choose in uh, the bringing together of two semen opposites. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, for that's that. a lovely way of saying it. it. An eclipse is a moment of wholeness. It's yeah. a moment of reunion. It, it totally is. There's no 
destruction and no creation just for a right. minute. There's, com- there's complete, total equilibrium. Right. And yet, by the other thing that occurred to me is that by the uh, obscuring of light, the blocking of light uh, through an eclipse, you're left with what? The shadow, if you were to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. There for you to map, if you so choose. Another gift. Yeah. The eclipse gives you that opportunity to say, darkness is not bad. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I love nature. I, everybody knows I'm a big gardener, anxious to get back out there and get going with it. Uh, and so I use that as an opportunity, Neil, to to make nature more than a metaphor. It's always been more than a metaphor for me, the natural world and, and observing that and relating nature, that back to our nature lives. Is a, nature is a wise teacher. Absolutely. And it's, con- it's constantly showing you everything. And it's constantly inviting you to a very deep wisdom, but it's hard to translate without tuition. Most people cannot understand what on earth is a tree showing me? What is the sun showing me? What does the mountain show me? They show you everything. Everything. I absolutely agree with you. But it's a a language that you have to learn, and that takes 100 years. And as we get through that 100 years, we learn more and more and more of it. And we have this phrase in my work, initiates always come back because of the great, you know, bounty, the great fruitfulness of life as you walk a spiritual path. It gets better. And then you think, you know what, I'm going to come back to this strange, bizarre, twisted, hideous beauty one more time because now with my instinct for wisdom, I think I can really engage with it. So nature increasingly becomes part of such a person's life mm-hmm. yes i agree with you and you say it takes roughly it takes decades perhaps for someone who is uh beckoning nature to speak to them in that way is that am i hearing you correctly when you're saying that in terms yeah, of cultivating I, that that communion on that level and getting that level of intelligence through something that seems inanimate yeah i would i would put forth uh, in my system of the supernal path uh, supernal path, path. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Supernal path. Yeah. That uh, those four. That's where I was swapping the th for the f. There, I was mm. thinking ahead of myself. There are four levels of initiation which we won't go into, but it's forty years work. So each each stage of initiation, from the you know the first level initiate to the fourth level initiate, it's it's, it's a decade. It's a decade of work if you have proximity and fellowship of other adepts if you don't you'll never do it so the the beauty of uh, initiation is it's a pathway to higher wisdom you can't do it on your own you won't be able to you won't be able to decode what nature's saying on your own it's not possible really okay that's interesting because you know what what figures come to mind immediately and i as a a young Mm. adult was a huge fan still am of ralph waldo emerson having being neighbors to uh where he grew up here in in lexington massachusetts ralph waldo emerson as well as thoreau and uh their uh love of solitude uh you know not the least of which was in walden pond in concord and i i think to myself uh, as a private person myself, and you use a very strong term when you say initiation, but I also, I have to say that I'm of the ilk, and perhaps mine is on a much more surface level, that epiphany comes in that moment of silence and aloneness as well. Uh, it, uh, most yeah. most of your work comes in solitude, but there's two things you can do. You can have solitude, 
and you can have fellowship. And sure. They, if they're not in their proper proportion in life, mm -hmm. then you tend toward fiction if, if you're in one camp or the other too much. There must be a proper proportion. I would say it probably looks like two-thirds of the time in solitude and a third of the time in fellowship. That's mm -hmm. probably about the right balance for a spiritual person. Mm. I can def I can definitely attest and agree with what you were saying that uh, my my testimony of epiphany always comes alone. I mean, I've had some amazing times with uh, particularly my fabulous wise wife, mm -hmm. who constantly amazes me with her insight and wisdom. So I've shared many things with her through the last decade, which have been priceless. And some good friends, you know, one or two good men, one or two good women as, as well. Still, though, still, the majority of things that are my revelation of life come alone. Mm -hmm. But again, in looking for that equilibrium, Neil Kramer, I don't think one could come without the other. They reciprocate. Uh, it, it, sun it's on sort the moon. Of, yeah, the sun. That's just the way it is. That's perennial, it seems to me. Sun on the moon. So think of the sun as fellowship and think of the moon as solitude. I love it. I absolutely love it. Makes perfect sense. It's like when I am fully immersed in a good book, and by the way, I don't read fiction. I never, I, I can count on one hand fiction, not, or fiction books that I've read, novels. But when I'm in, enfolded in a great body of spiritually oriented work, I, let's call that for the for the time being my outside of it, it that's solitude I suppose but it's I'm bringing in another author and I'm bringing I'm reading somebody else's words I'm trying to see how I can marry this and based on the that which I resonate with in that book in solitude epiphany comes and that book may have been the prompting for it if that makes any sense um, it's, to, it's sure, a sure. somewhat of a there's, balance. There's different degrees of solitude from sitting alone with a cup of coffee and reading a book is a nice way to be alone. Yeah. Well, when I right say solitude, to, though, I'm sorry. When I say solitude, I mean with no other uh, um, stimuli, nothing, including sure, a book. I was going I'm to saying, say that, yeah. Yes. No yeah, music, so the, no the nothing. Other, I, I understand. The yeah. other end of the scale is, as uh, as I like to do, too, which is to be in the wilderness, mm -hmm. alone, with nothing except, you know, me, me backpack, my rifle, and that's it, nothing, just those things, just me and the elements, then I can start to feel true solitude where there is no stories, no narratives, no fictions, no voices, nothing, 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 even the cell phone doesn't work gloriously. <laughs> so yeah, and there's there's stages in between that. I can't run off and do that every two minutes because <laughs> nothing would ever get done. Right. But uh, for sure, to spend time alone is a very significant part of the spiritual unfoldment. For sure, it is. Without fellowship, though, of adepts, there is a slowing down of knowledge, and there is a tendency towards fiction. I have to stress that again in my view so i make sure that i have both in my life in the proper proportions once again mm -hmm. one third in fellowship two thirds in solitude roughly i would say so i think that's a good recipe neil kramer i think that's great 
oh boy, here we go again. There is a part three on the horizon. I, look, you're just invited back whenever you want. You know that at this point, right? So <laughs> we've still got a few minutes, but I'm thinking, oh, there are so many points that we're not going to get to, but that'll just give me an excuse to have you back on. Sure. I want to take the rest of this precious time with you to segue into something that I'm going to call you. You left folks with a heck of a cliffhanger. In, in our last show. And for everyone that has not listened to our wonderful interview with Neil just a couple of weeks ago, I urge you to go back and do so. Because you had a little something to say about our current president of the United States. And I, it was somewhat taken out of context. or the, <laughs> But you know, I want this to be I want it to somehow relate as all things on some level do. Yeah, nicely put, micro. nicely put, Alexis. I was thinking that, are yes. we going to get to this or what? But Absolutely. I thought, you know what, this is part of what we're talking about. It's Absolutely. not as uh, yes. it's not as diverted away as one thinks, is no. it? No, and in reflecting on how I was going to fold uh, Mr. Trump into this conversation about shadow mapping, uh, it started to make more and more sense. So right. I'm going to let you have at it, uh, Neil Kramer, and tell us, uh, again, I'm going to urge people to go back. Perhaps you can just reiterate what you said, that you think he's a pretty cool dude and for what reason. But please give people the full essence of where this is coming from. You're on. Go I for will. it. I will. <laughs> Let's do it. When you know what empire is, when you know what polarity is, when you know what alchemy is, when you understand the principle of destruction being central to goodness Donald Trump is the best thing that's happened to America since Thomas Jefferson, which is today, as we record this, his birthday, as a matter of fact, Mr. Jefferson. Huh. Uh, so let me present to you uh, three keys to understanding Donald Trump. Number one, Trump is a Hayoka. In Native American Indian spiritual culture, uh, the Hayoka is, is a spiritual joker. Hayoka is spelled H-E-Y-O-K-A. H-E-Y-O-K-A. Hayoka. Uh, a sort of sacred teacher. A, a rather contentious figure who behaves in a very peculiar sort of way. And in their strange behavior, they expose misconceptions in society at large. So the Hayoka... Um, shows falsehoods that have gone unaddressed in wider society for a long time. Assumptions about right and wrong, about good and bad, quality and rubbish. And you, you find certainly the character of the Hayoka in, in many Indian tribes, going back a little bit, but mostly among the Lakota people of the old uh, Plains of America, which today... Uh, you'd say is Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, around there. And then in time, the, these tribal traditions of the Hayoka spread to other areas like Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and so on. So the Hayoka is uh, also sometimes called a contrarian warrior, the contrary warrior or the contrarian warrior, a person who engages in a, in a very peculiar sort of satire, and they lampoon the nuances and sensibilities of the age they oppose the established order as a way to ask people to look again at what they think they know and as i've said many times the hayoka himself may often be relatively or even entirely unconscious mm. of this process of wisdom 
they don't know of the wisdom that they channel. They cannot appreciate the higher purpose they are serving. They don't know. And that's that's not uncommon. But the, the great spirit places these figures into society to change it for the better. And if you realize that the contrarian warrior, you know, does things that appear the opposite of the usual way, you begin to at that point comprehend the method, the wisdom here. So let me let me say it like this. Um, you know, this this very obstinate, contrarian, defiant warrior serves to hold up a mirror to our own untruth. Mm-hmm. They reveal the shadow inside that we have sought to turn away from. They show us by questioning our routines and habits and ideologies that we haven't been telling ourselves the truth. And if if the shadow that we have been burying has been, you know, sort of hidden away under this fanciful dream of utopia and rainbows and you know this that somehow we're already in a very realized soft and gentle loveliness of humanity if you've been doing that then the contrarian warrior brings pain with that truth that that is not true he brings pain by overturning that untruth so the heyoka the contrarian warrior is is consequently very often mocked and hated and scorned so in our fascinatingly hideous and stunningly beautiful world, Donald Trump is our Hayoka of this time, the great white Hayoka of the world. He brings light to the things we don't want to look at. Hmm. So, that, so that's the first key to Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Key number one is a Hayoka. Key number two, Trump exposes empire. Uh, before Trump, nobody in the mainstream knew that there were deep corruption elements in the FBI, NSA, CIA, Mossad, MI6. Not everyone knew that. They thought, wait a minute, those organizations are there to protect national security and international peace, surely. Ostensibly they are. There are some good men and women in those organizations that do that work, sure. But at very high levels, those organizations have been very, very deeply compromised. That is plain to see now. That's obvious if you're paying attention. If you're just watching Rachel Maddow and Anderson Cooper, you might not know what's going on because, you know, that's just claptrap what they talk. But if you're actually reading between the lines and balancing mainstream, alternative, independent, traditional, new, balancing all those sources of information together with your own discernment, deduction, and intuition, you see also that the world leaders all around the world are full of crap and always have been. And the trade deals, the lies, the dirtiness, the abuse of the system, the human trafficking, the problems, the corruption, Facebook. Facebook, seriously? It's so clear now. We've just been looking at Mr. Zuckerberg. And it's it's very clear, isn't it, that Zuckerberg is just this blank face mm. of a CIA spy program called Facebook. It's nothing to do with a shared family photo album where we can share pictures of little Jimmy's third birthday. It's it's spy it's a spy program. Mm. And that's mm. that's very important. And not many people knew about all this stuff before Trump. So in the history of America and perhaps in the history of Britain, I have never seen one figure bring so much light 
to the shadow of empire than Donald Trump. Never. Hmm. So, so that's the second key. Okay. Let me let me tell you the third key, and then I'll hand back over to you. Because mm-hmm. I know we've we've pushed for time. Key number three, very easy. Trump is dismantling empire. One of the big problems with empire, and I'll say this plainly, is that uh, human trafficking and human sacrifice is a massive deal. And it's the thing that must never be spoken of. You can talk about UFOs, you can talk about JFK assassination, you can talk about World War II if you insist, you can talk about this, you can talk about that, but you must never talk about human sacrifice. You must never talk about human trafficking. Those things are related. Trump knows about that stuff. He's been tipped off by sources who know what that is and know that that's a big problem and that's at the heart of empire. So human trafficking, human sacrifice, pedophilia is at the heart of empire. It's founded the corruption on those things and it touches so many governments, so many world leaders, so many institutions, you would not believe it. Then Forget Me Too and Harvey Weinstein and all that. I mean, we're talking at a industrial scale here that's right trump trump no trump knows about it Mm -hmm. and he's he's for the first time ever he's taken extraordinary steps to dismantle that foundation stone of empire no one else has ever touched it nobody in fact they've made it worse for the last hundred years he's not he's actually taken it to pieces so all that the fiction of trump is is a narcissistic well, he is narcissistic. That's not very much so. Yeah, <laughs> I the, want to the fiction, comment on that. The fiction too. is, I know, I can't say that. The fiction <laughs> is that he's a racist, bigoted, xenophobic, blah blah blah. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. I know loads of people who know him. They say he's not at all. Mm-hmm. And like I say, I, I am way more bigoted, xenophobic, sexist, racist, homophobic than he is. And I'm not any of those <laughs> things hardly at all. I am way more than that, I and mean, I'm a decent man. He is none of those things. That's that's the Anderson Cooper, Rachel Maddow fiction garbage Hmm. he knows there's a problem and he's prepared to take on the hatred directed at the exposer at the hayoka because he knows that in 50 years 100 years when we're all gone and he's he's disappeared that his legacy will speak for itself and only those with insight and discrimination powers to see what is true discrimination extremely important human gift of beauty mm-hmm. if you can discriminate you can see now what trump is doing if you if you're not being programmed by the new york times the washington post cnn bbc if you look carefully at what's going on you see those three things in in play is is a hayoka he's exposing empire and he's dismantling empire no one's touched it and for those conspiracy and parapolitical people who say Oh, no, it's ridiculous. Believe you me, Donald Trump was not meant to get elected. That's the last thing. You really believe that? Okay, that's an interesting. That's the last thing Empire want. And I, I absolutely guarantee this for you. If you ever want an example of how fallible and how weak Empire truly is, Hillary was supposed to win, not Trump. I guarantee you that. And I have lots mm. of inside sources, which I can't reveal, which have to my satisfaction, corroborated that. They wanted Hillary because she was going to just carry it through for another four or eight years. Trump, to them, is a total disaster. They can't kill him. All they can try and do is discredit him. So he is the enemy of empire. 
Mm. And he has to keep Empire very close to him. So when he's got all these bankers and, uh, you know, terrible people and corrupt individuals and dark figures around, you're thinking, well, what are you talking about? That's crazy. He's a chess player. He has other chess players with him, as you might say. And you have to keep your opponent very close, close to you. To you. Very that's close right. to you. We know the so old adage. It doesn't, yes, it doesn't, That's right. So it doesn't always look like he's doing the right thing. But by and large, and he is narcissistic. He is a megalomaniac. He is crazy. He is uncouth. He does say silly things. He, he, you know, he does all kinds of daft stuff that you roll your eyes at or you know, throw your arms into the air and wonder what on earth is happening. This has to come. The system has to come down. It has to be dismantled. And he is the only person ever that I've ever seen in all my life who has a actual vested interest day-to-day in doing it. And he is doing it. Wow. I don't know if there's anything I can follow up on there. I'm just listening. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for that. Thank you so for I, illuminating I invi- that. Yes. I invite people to look at that. And I yeah. know that if, if you've gone with the main narrative that Trump's a disaster and he's not all nice like Mr. Obama and all this, I realize it's quite a jump from what I'm saying to to mm. take a look seriously at that. But I invite you to go and carefully, mm-hmm. carefully look at the backstory mm-hmm. of what's happening with Trump. It's not in the newspapers and the websites. Well, no, it can't be because the newspaper is, is empire, right? So we get that. I, I think Instant we're media is empire. Absolutely. You can't do yeah. that. So you have to go and be... Sherlock Holmes, do your own detection work. It will take you about six months. You can't do it in an after Sunday afternoon with a cup mm-hmm. of tea. It takes a while. But when you start to piece it together, it's startlingly obvious yeah. Yeah. what's happening. And it's actually a great optimistic thing. And it, it's it's the best thing I've ever seen happen to this country ever. Yeah, very interesting. Uh I don't know who is out there listening, Neil, but I do have a feeling that uh, we know that there there are certainly our, our channel does not necessarily focus on these clearly conspiratorial ideas, not just conspiratorial, but this type of uh, discussion. And yet I think it is ever it's it's so important. I am following I, I have some inkling as to some of the things that you're talking about and have to look yeah, into it. I as I mentioned off air, I have become uh, a political so in my looking at it, again, I always choose to delve into the esoteric significance. And yeah. with that, I want to bring up something else. Because obviously, this, he's an enigma. <laughs> he's an enigma. <laughs> That's fair I mean, come on. Absolutely, absolutely right. Yes. And in that, but but for me, Alexis Brooks, looking at the significance of enigmas, not bad, not good, significant. I had some thoughts of uh, Trump on the global stage at this time, and I've talked about this before. And perhaps you've given me another layer to look a little further into. There's a few things I I may say to you offline uh, on that point. But to me, and this still holds true, not of this or that, but of this and that, he represents the universal archetype of shadow, that would include ego, narcissism, and self-promotion. Those are the qualities that have been pushed by empire. Now, I'm not playing devil's advocate here. I'm kind of adding to another sure. layer to his significance. No, I can see that. I absolutely see that. That has been and pushed. I, and I think he, he has to... This is, the, this is the beautiful irony of it. 
you can only take empire down from within. That's he right. is a product of empire. He is a product of empire. That's right. And so it's like one of their own agents turns against them when mm-hmm. he sees what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he has he has seen what's going on. And he can't bring that to the public attention or he would be out. He'd be instantly impeached. Right. They'll, have a go at, they'll have a go at it anyway, but I don't think they'll succeed. Right, right. So but, yeah. you, have, you, have, you have to see, as, as, as you said earlier, rather like yourself, I am honestly quite apolitical. I'm not, I've never really considered myself as Democrat or, you know, um, socialist or conservative or Republican. No, nothing of those of those sorts. I really don't see myself like that. If anything, I'd perhaps say I was a libertarian in that government should be small and should not interfere with the business of good people. Uh, that's it. Period. Done. Right. But you know, uh, I wouldn't say Rand Paul represented me too well in that respect although i know he's a decent man the kentucky mm. fellow but whatever right right I, i'm not political in this so i still urge people though whatever you think about the narratives on trump treat him has treat him as an example of embodied shadow yeah. on the world stage every day Absolutely. we've never seen we've never seen that before yeah i agree because, because he speaks just off the cuff and because he says stupid things, that's all the more interesting. Right. Well, here's here's the point. If I can just close on this archetypal uh, uh, significance, the shadow that he represents in those aspects of ego and narcissism have been pushed by empire onto the masses to replicate. This is an, this is an aspect of the macro shadow that exists to some extent within most of us at some level. So the, to me, the significance of this big ego shadow coming to the fore is allowing us for those who choose to map that in ourselves in order to get rid of it. Very wise words. Miss Brooks, very, very wise words indeed. I, th- I think you, you bang on with that. If you hate Trump, there's something you hate in yourself. Mm. And that hatred is, is legitimate and it makes you look at it. It doesn't mean you're wrong, but it says, what is it? What is it about that? And it, my feeling is that Trump kills the fiction. He kills the fiction that we have this lovely world politics and we're in a kind of nice democracy with just one or two problems that's garbage it's that's garbage the world is in a terrible terrible state and it's a real mess and the people who are running the world don't have the interests of world society mm-hmm. of good good men and women at heart they don't and he's the only person who's calling that out and I'm, it's staggering it's very very Something. fascinating and mm-hmm. the, the mystical observer cannot afford to be uh, partisan on this they cannot afford to bias one way or the other oh absolutely you mu- right you must right. simply look at the truth of it and the absolutely. truth of it is he is a hayoka look at carefully at that go and read the crap wikipedia entry wikipedia is awful by the way but <laughs> it, it's not a bad place to begin it's like a launch platform try going to the library remember we talked about that libraries <laughs> what are go. they i've never heard of such a thing <laughs> Number two, Trump, he does expose empire, he does. And number three, he is dismantling it, he totally is. So if you just examine those three points as clearly as you can, with no preconceptions, Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. you see that whatever your political persuasion, if you can suspend that for a moment something very fascinating is happening that's showing us about the the world social shadow we're absolutely seeing it you know represented every day it couldn't be more illustrative Mm -hmm. of how we can see 
what is inside ourselves play on the outside. So as, as we often say in my work, the disavowed shadow inside will become inevitable drama on the outside. I say, brilliant. And let me just add, a thought came to my mind, Neil. In order to get the closest look, as close as you can, you have to zoom out as far as you can. Nicely put. Love it. So if we can manage to do that, if any of us can manage to do that, we may just start to see some of what you're talking about. Oh boy, oh boy, we're over. And uh, I'm really bummed about that because, as you know, we could go on for much longer. But we're going to okay, have no to problem. We'll speak again. Some, we are going some to speak time. again. Will you come back again, Mr. Neil Kramer? Soon? I would love to. Thank and you. I think next time we may have to get you on camera so we can see oh my the God. great expressions that go along with your your wise words. Really, seriously. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about sure. that. I'd love to. Thank you. Any closing thoughts? And, uh, and by the way, we we are again. I'm going to urge everyone to go back and listen to part one. Um, so you can get the full scope of what we've been chatting about here. Uh, we did mention transmutation, but I want you to mention again real quick for us. I, I went to the transmutation website. This is a documentary feature length, a documentary film that's coming out soon, we hope, that looks beautiful, by the way. Tell us about that real quick. Transmutationfilm.com. Go and check it out. It's a documentary we've worked on for a long time. It's done. It's finished. It's out for early previews to different you know, magazines and organizations who are taking a look. And there's one, a few, one or two reviews out, which I'll post on my Facebook and website and whatnot. Transmutation is a film about real spiritual life, about real mystical human beings changing themselves for the better. It's about uprooting normality. And it's really a, a very contemplative piece about human transformation, about the natural world's role in that, and about uh, you know sharing some sort of time with a bunch of individuals on that screen, including myself, who I, I guide you through the whole thing, mm. really, through the film. But encountering real people who have taken the risk to redefine themselves, not in a way that you will see in a normal spiritual flick. This is different. Very, very beautifully shot as well by the extremely talented. I can Extremely talented Niles Heckman, who is a, a, a great force in independent filmmaking, and I'm sure we'll just go from strength to strength. Mm. It's very, very beautiful. Watch the trailer. That's not just the best bits. That's typical of all of the whole thing. So yeah. go and look at the trailer. It'll probably be out in the coming months, uh, we so. expect. I'm excited. It's ready to go. We've done our bit. It's just the business side of it now or whatever. But it's, uh, it's very exciting. Transmutationfilm.com. Go to neilkramer.com, Kramer with a K, and look at all the exciting, interesting things on there, books, essays, feet, you know, uh, downloads, roamcasts, yeah. Pod yeah, all kinds of fun things. neilkramer.com, please do. Thank you. All right. Well, you know the drill, folks. We will have all of the relevant links on higherjourneys.com. And maybe we can even put the trailer directly on there. It is beautiful, beautifully shot and beautifully done. Can't wait to see it. All right, Mr. Neil Kramer, again, words of wisdom. You never have a shortage of those. And I do thank you for sharing them with our audience today. So... I'm going to ask you to stay online and I'm going to uh, say happy weekend. Well, actually, this is going to be next Wednesday, but still happy weekend to the Higher Journeys audience. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care. Empire's long-held playbook of programming through trauma and then setting up a framework by which to avoid it at all costs has and remains one of the biggest challenges to mankind. 
whether we are conscious of it or not. And yet, if one can muster the strength and wisdom to meet that trauma head on, not only will the pain dissolve, but the real path to spirituality can be achieved. As hard as these lessons may be to process, this is what Neil means when he says that shadow mapping is the appreciation that truth brings pain. I appreciate Neil's candor and his distillation of such ideas and ideals. And as always, I appreciate you for tuning in to this most thought-provoking episode of Higher Journeys. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.